open them, please, to the book of John, the Gospel. Tonight we want to look at just one verse, although later in this message I'm going to be asking your help. I'm going to need 17 of you. Yes, you heard me correct, 17 of you, to help me with some reading of the Scripture. So if you can help me, when I recognize you, just stand up, read your Scripture loud so everybody can hear it. And I would deeply appreciate it. But John 14, 6, I'll read that one to get us started. The 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, a well-known verse. And Jesus was speaking to the disciples of his day. He's speaking to us tonight. And he makes a simple but very profound statement. A profound but very simple statement. He says, I am the way. I am, I am God, and I am the way. I am God, and I am the truth. I am God, and I am the life. And no man, absolutely no man, doesn't matter who he is, no man will cometh unto the Father which is in heaven, lest he comes through me, or he comes by me. We're in a sermon series on Sunday night talking about when the door is opened. We're learning some ways to witness to the various groups of people that are around us in what we call the journey of life. And I realize a lot of this is hard to perhaps absorb. That's why we have it all on our website. You can go there, you can listen to every message that's preached. You can listen to them over and over and over again. You can take notes. It can hopefully help you grasp some of the things that we have to do so quickly each time we meet. But tonight we're looking at sharing our faith with Muslims. Sharing our faith with Muslims. We are reminded, it seems like every week, Sadly and tragically, I might say, reminded that there is an Islamic presence in our world. Hardly a week goes by that we don't hear of some terrorist or jihadist act of violence against innocent people, some senseless act of murder committed by jihadists somewhere in our world. Now, while all Muslims are not terrorists, it seems like all the terrorists are Muslims. According to statistics, 20% of our world's population, one out of every five people, one and a half billion people to be exact, are Muslims. And over 7 million Muslims reside in our country. Now, there's much misunderstanding about Muslims. Politicians and religious leaders love to muddy the water. But the Muslims also tend to be a very secretive group. They worship Allah, but they don't say much about it. 
They follow the teachers of the Koran, but they don't say a lot about it. They're willing to die to spread their faith around the world, but they don't say a whole lot about it either. They're, they're a small group, but they're a growing group. They keep their cards close to their vest, but they're willing to die for what they believe. So I guess the question as we begin tonight is, what do they believe? Now, the Muslim faith has a lot of different sects and branches that go off of it. But in my study, I found out that no matter what group you might be, or sect you might be, or variation you might be, all Muslims basically believe these six things. They believe these truths I'm about to give you. Number one, they all worship Allah. Allah translated means the deity. Allah is the Muslim God. They believe he is the only God that all other gods are frauds, all other gods are fakes. Now some people say, well, pastor, they're really worshiping the God of the Bible, they just call him Allah. That is not true. It is a sin for them to equate the God of the Bible with Allah. They do not make any claim whatsoever that Allah is the same God of the Bible. They dismiss the God of the Bible. There is but one God that they worship, and it is Allah. And all the other gods are dismissed as irrelevant or false or just an imagination of somebody. They all worship Allah. He is their one God and their only God. And he is who he is. He's not a fancy name for anybody else. Secondly, all Muslims believe that their faith has been built on 25 prophets. Adam was the first prophet. Adam of the Bible was their first prophet. They claim him. Jesus was prophet number 24. They do believe that Jesus was a prophet. But that Muhammad is prophet 25. He is the last of the prophets. He's the greatest of the prophets. They believe 25 prophets have been raised up by Allah to communicate the Islamic faith. The first being Adam, the last being Muhammad. And he is the greatest of them all. Thirdly, they do believe in angels and in demons. They do believe in a supernatural world. We do as well. And so many Muslims in the Islamic faith, they practice rituals. These rituals are meant to do one of two things, to solicit the blessing of angels or to avoid the curses of demons. The rituals and the ceremonies that they practice have a purpose. The blessings from the angels and to avoid the curses from the demons. Number four, 
All Muslims believe that the Quran is the supreme holy book. Now, they believe that the Bible is a holy book, but it's been corrupted and defiled. It's no longer trustworthy. They believe the Torah of Judaism once was a holy book, but it too has been corrupted and defiled and is no longer trustworthy. The only trustworthy word of God to a Muslim is the Koran. It's their holy book. And they believe that it's only right when it is in its original translation, which is the Arabic version. Now, it can be in other versions, but they don't believe those versions are accurate either. The only accurate version of the Holy Quran is the one that was given, they claim, in Arabic to Muhammad. Fifthly, they all believe that the only way to be guaranteed to go to heaven is to die as a jihadist. They believe in the afterlife. They believe there's a heaven, they believe there's a hell, and they, but they believe the only person guaranteed, absolutely, unconditionally guaranteed to go to heaven is a jihadist who dies for the faith. Nobody else can be sure. All the others can do is cross their fingers and hope for the best because theirs is a religion of works. And Allah, he's a very temperamental God. He's very subjective. He's very biased. He's unpredictable. What got somebody into heaven yesterday may not get you into heaven today. So Muslims are very insecure about where they're going in eternity because their religion teaches that insecurity. That's why even though they do confessions to Allah and Muhammad, praising them and giving their loyalty and allegiance to them, that's why although they pray five times a day looking to Mecca, their holy city, that is why they fast during the season called Ramadan. That's why when they give alms, which is two and a half percent of all they have, that's why when they make that pilgrimage to Mecca once a year, or excuse me, once in a lifetime at least, that's why they do all of that, but yet they do it with an uncertainty that I still might not get me to heaven. The only way I know for sure I'll go to heaven is I die for Allah. And that's why a lot of the craziness we see is taking place. They really believe they're going to heaven. Death is their ticket to glory. Now that's just some of the beliefs that they have, and by the way, this is core beliefs 
that any Muslim would have from whatever group they might be, because again, there's many different groups. Some are very militant, some are less militant, but they all believe essentially those things I just shared with you. Now, how are we going to be able to deal with this? Well, you cannot have two truths that say the same thing. Two plus two cannot be four, and two plus two cannot be five at the same time. That's contradictory. Truth is not generalized. Truth is not ambiguous. Truth is very specific. It's very precise. And so this is what the Muslims believe. This is what the Islamic religion teaches, what I just told you. Now some would say, well, we can take the Muslim faith and the Christian faith and we just kind of synchronize them together. You cannot do that any more than you can synchronize 2 plus 2 is 4 with 2 plus 2 that's 5. Light can't be mixed with dark. Truth can't be mixed with error. Something's either right or something's either wrong. The Muslims are either right or we as Christians are right. Somebody's got to be right. Now, I've told you what they believe, but what do we believe? Now, this is where I'm going to need your help. Okay? I'm going to name a scripture, and we're going to just go stay in the book of John. I don't want you to get lost. So turn back to John chapter 1. Now, you're John 14. Just flip back. We're going to start at chapter 1, and we're going to work through. Now, if you can help me out, I appreciate it. You just stand and read the scripture loud and clear, and we'd appreciate it. Would somebody start with John chapter 1, verse 1? We're trying to figure out what we believe here tonight. John chapter 1, verse 1. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. John chapter 1, verse 12. John 1, verse 12. Yes, ma'am. John chapter 1, verse 14. Moving to verse 14. A couple verses down. Yes, sir. John chapter 3, verse 3. John 3, verse 3. Yes, sir. Amen. John 3, 16, somebody. John 3.16, yes. Thank you. John 3.36. John 3.36. Thank you. John chapter 5 now, verse 18. John 5.18. Could we have a reader, please? Yes, please. Thank you. Appreciate your help. John chapter 5, verse 24. 24th verse of John 5. We have a helper here. Yes, ma'am. Amen. Are you kind of seeing what we believe tonight? The Bible's telling you, isn't it? I'm not telling you, the Bible's telling you. John chapter 5, verse 43. Good, thank you. Verse 46 of John chapter 5. Verse 46. John chapter 6, verse 29. Kyle? John chapter 6, verse 40. Verse 40. Thank you. John chapter 8, verse 19, somebody please. Isn't that some good music we're hearing tonight? Those Bible pages turning. That's good music. John chapter 8, verse 19. Very good. 
John chapter 8, verse 58. Verse 58. Yes, Nick? Thank you. John chapter 10, verse 30. Four more verses. John chapter 10, verse 30. Okay? Teresa, you stand up there, girl. John chapter 11, verse 25. Thank you, Don. Teresa, John 11, 25, please. 25. Wow. John 14, 6. We've already read that one, so you've already heard it, but we'll have somebody else do it one more time. John 14, 6. Okay? Thank you. Amen. And lastly, your last chance to get on board, John 17, verse 3. Now, ladies and gentlemen, from the Bible, that's what we believe. I don't see no mention of Allah. I don't see no mention of Muhammad. I see no mention of a Koran. I see what Jesus has said throughout the whole Gospel of John. If you know the Father, you'll know Him. If you know Him, you'll know the Father. And if you want to go to heaven, you'll go through Him or you won't go at all. That's pretty clear. He said it once, it would be clear, but he says it over and over and over again in so many different ways, so there'll be no confusion, no misunderstanding. So that brings us to the question, this is what we believe, this is what they believe, obviously it contradicts, somebody's got to be right, somebody's got to be wrong. So how should we approach then a Muslim? How can we penetrate their ears and mind and heart that they might see they have been duped, that they've been deceived, that their truth has been hijacked, and it's not going to take them to heaven, it's going to take them to hell. What, what, what can we do to reach them? You say, Pastor, I don't care if I reach them or not. You need to care. But God so loved the world. There's no asterisk by world that says exclude this particular country or this particular class or this particular culture or this particular countenance. Our God wants all men to be saved and when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of the world. So what is our plan then if we're going to reach them? How do we go about it? Well, what I'm going to share with you actually came from some missionaries. I think they know better than anybody how to do it. And so this is what they suggested to you and I. This is basically what they do when they try to reach Muslim people wherever they may be. First of all, number one, they use the Bible. The Muslims have a holy book. They call it the Koran. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a holy book and we call it the Bible. And we need to use the Bible. In order to use the Bible, we have to first know the Bible. We need to study the Bible. We need to understand the Bible. We need to learn how to memorize and quote the Bible. One of the great problems we have in Christianity is we have biblical illiteracy. So many Christians that sit in pews just like you, and quite frankly, some pastors who stand behind pulpits just like me, they don't know what they believe. 
They haven't got a clue what the Bible says. All they do is say what somebody else said. And what they believe is what somebody else told them to believe. Folks, we've got to get biblically literate if we're ever going to be able to share a faith with anybody that's got any religious background. The Muslims hold the word of God in high regard. So high, in fact, that they never lower it below their waist. You'll never see a Muslim carry the Koran lower than waist level because they see that as a sign of disrespect. They never carry the Koran except it be on the top stack of other books. They don't put the Bible, their Bible, in second place on a stack of books or in the middle or at the bottom. The Koran always goes on the top for them. You know why? Because they respect their word of God. And we need to respect our word of God. And we need to read it, know it, and study it, and understand it, and quote it, and be able to use it. Most of us are defensive Christians. We got all the armor of defense on, but we have no offense. Because the word of God is our sword. And we're swordless. Somebody said the Bible is like a caged lion. You don't have to defend the caged lion. You just let the lion loose, and he'll defend himself. You don't have to try to debate somebody about this book. Just learn to use it. And this book was very capable of taking care of itself. But we got to use the Bible. As we're going to reach Muslim people, We've got to be able to take them to our holy book, the word of God, and let our holy book speak to them because ours will speak to them where theirs won't. Because ours is a living book and theirs is a dead book. We need to, secondly, love Muslims. All this rhetoric that goes on of hatred and ugliness and hostility and aggression serves no purpose but to further alienate a group of people that desperately need Jesus. Are you listening to me? Politicians and religious leaders and other well-meaning people are on campaigns of hatred and ugliness and hostility and aggression against the Muslim race because they blame them for the terrorism. All Muslims are not terrorists. I will grant you most of them that are terrorists are Muslim. There's no debating that. But it's just a small group. And we need to be able to, to offer love to them if we're going to reach them. If I call you names... If I alienate you, if I'm hostile to you, if I'm derogatory to you, are you going to listen to anything I got to say? It would just reinforce to you, I'm an infidel. Because that's what they're taught. That anybody who's not a Muslim is an infidel. But you know something, love is a language that everybody understands. I can tell you our Haiti team will go to Haiti and they can't speak French Creole. But they can speak love. 
And I promise you, the language that they speak from their heart, motivated by the Spirit of God, moved by the Spirit of God, will say far more than they'll ever say through a translator. Do you know Muslims, because they come from a religion that teaches hostility, do you know that they have no defense against love? They don't know how to handle what people that are good and kind to them told me a missionary. They don't know how to handle that. We need to love them. Not love what they do, but love them. We need to use the Bible. Thirdly, we need to tell them about Jesus. Because Muslims are like anybody else. What they're looking for in their religion is a relationship with God. And their religion doesn't teach that relationship. Remember Allah? He's unpredictable. He's crazy. He's mean. He's angry. He's vindictive. You never know where you stand with him from one moment to another. How can you have a relationship with somebody like that? You can't. They're looking for a way to have a relationship with God. And so we need to tell them about Jesus. We need to tell them about his love. We need to tell them about his personal presence in our life. I know he's real because he lives in me. We need to tell them about his grace and his mercy. They don't know nothing about grace and mercy. All they know about is the wrath of Allah. If they don't loop every L and dot every I and cross every T. We need to tell them about how Jesus died for us and for them. And how he arose again from the grave for us and for them. And how he's coming again one day for us and he can come again for them. That they can know Jesus who loves them and they can love him. And there can be a relationship there. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to tell them about Jesus. Most of them are very interested in him because he is mentioned in the Quran. But they don't know much about him. So we need to tell them about him. I like the old song, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. That's what we have to do with them. And then fourthly, if we want to win a Muslim to Jesus, we have to use the Bible. We have to love them. We have to tell them about Jesus. And then we have to live Jesus. You know what hurts Christianity more than anything? It's not our mumbling, bumbling witness. It's our mumbling and bumbling lives. Because the Muslims are taught we're a bunch of hypocrites anyway. We talk one way and walk another. We lip it, but we don't live it. We've got to show them that that's not true. 
that this one who is a God of love, this one who is a God of, 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 of intimacy, this one that is a God of, of grace and mercy, this one who is a God who died for us and lives for us and is coming for us, this God is in us and we live for him and we are like him. Do you understand that? Our best theology is our testimony. As we live it out before them, they see something in us that they crave. And that's a relationship with God that shows in our life each and every day. Pastor, if we do all of that, will a Muslim listen to us? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. But if we don't do that, they'll never listen to us. They want to know how to have a relationship with God. And if we talk about relationship, they will listen. Yes, they have a faith. But in that faith, they're very much dissatisfied they want to know how they can have a relationship, not a religion. As I stand before you tonight, I'm telling you that God is doing a work in the Muslim world. All we ever hear is the bad things going on. I want you to know that right now, God is moving in the Muslim community as no other community in our world right now. You see, God loves Muslims. You heard me say that before. Shake your head. He loves Muslims. And he wants those Muslims to come to know him. And he's doing some extraordinary things to reach those Muslims. How is he reaching them? First of all, the Lord Jesus is speaking to many Muslims in Muslim countries through dreams and visions. Now, I know some of us conservative Baptists are going to say, he don't do that anymore. And I would tend to agree with you that when the scriptures were completed and all God wanted to say was put in written form in what we call the Bible, God by and large said, if you want to know anything, go to my word. Everything I want you to know is in the word. But I also know this. You can't put God in a box. And God loves people so much that he wants to reach people. And if he can't get messengers to those people, if he can't get Bibles to those people through us, he'll just do it himself. And many Muslims who have come to know Jesus, this is their testimony. They had a visitation by a man who identified himself as Christ. He shared with them the word of God. And they listened to that word of God. They responded to that Jesus they saw in that vision and dream. And they gave their life to him. They're born again because Jesus intervened and saved them. Just like he did the apostle Paul on the Damascus road. <coughs> so he's speaking to them. Particularly in countries that are almost impenetrable. He's speaking to them through dreams and visions that no government can stop. 
<coughs> Secondly, in China of all places, the home church in China is thriving. Christianity is not dead in China. It is thriving in the underground church that's held basically in the homes of believers. And the Chinese church, though it has limitations and restrictions placed on it, are training missionaries to go to the Muslim communities of the world and share Jesus. You see, they can get into these Muslim countries because they're coming from a communist country. And they're being trained. The goal, I understand, is 100,000 Chinese missionaries to infiltrate into the countries of the Middle East that are Muslim, that are difficult to enter in, and use their access to share Jesus. And they've already started doing that and bearing fruit from it. Thirdly, God is reaching Muslims through technology. You know, technology is a neutral thing. It can be good or bad. But God is using it here for the good. Because even Muslims in countries that are difficult to get the witness into, they have what we call phones. And those smartphones can tell people about Jesus. And those internet accesses that they have, they can learn about Jesus. And DVDs and CDs that somehow get in their possession, they can watch and they can listen to it. It tells them about Jesus. God is using technology to penetrate light into the darkness. And then, the Lord is using folks like us. See, most of you were saying, that takes me off the hook. No, it doesn't. Because there's going to be Muslims in every community. And we need to try to reach out to them if we can. And befriend them and use our Bible and use love and use Jesus. Talk about relationships that they might be interested in what we have and desire to want it. I'm not telling you this is an easy work or a quick work. A missionary told me it takes up to 50 times of witnessing to someone from the Muslim faith before they will actually begin to understand the claims of the gospel. That's how much darkness and deception has penetrated them. It's a battle spiritually, and we have to understand that. But it's important we do it. Many years ago, when the Shah of Iran fell, Ayatollah Khomeini, who was in Paris, France, decided now he would go back to Iran to take over the country. So he flew 
from Paris, France to Tehran, Iran on a 747 jet plane. As that plane approached the runway, the airfield in Tehran, there was hundreds of thousands of Muslims who were waiting on him. And as they saw the big silver bird, the big 747 circling above, they all fell to their knees and they did their little bow and they said, Our Savior, our Savior, our Savior. We need to tell them that there's another Savior coming. And he won't need a 747 because he's 777. And he's the real deal. And the only way they're ever going to know that is if we take the time to seek to minister to them when God opens the door. And God opens the door. Next week, we're going to be looking at how to witness to witches. That should be interesting. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus yourself. You say, Pastor, it's Sunday night. Dreary weather. Who, why would anybody come who's not a Christian? Well, that's a good point to make, but I've been around long enough to know that there's some mighty fine religious people who really do better than we who are born-again Christians.